Welcome to another episode of Painterview, and we're going to be joined today by Joseph Shepard, who's the host and interviewer and creator of Exposed, the series interviewing lots of drag artists and other queer people. So I'm super excited to paint him. We actually did one a few weeks ago, and because of no one in particular's fault, it got lost to the ether. <laughs> So we're now going to be talking again and going more in depth. So this is the sequel and Joseph is going to be coming on in a second. And here's the painting that we've got going. New painting, new video. If I hadn't mentioned it, we could have just forgotten that the other one even happened. Hey. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Of course. Yeah. It's good to see you. I'm wearing a very fancy printed shirt in your honor. Thank you. I thought about wearing a fancy printed shirt and I was like, I feel like I've worn everything for my interviews. So like we're, we're repping Shea Kool-Aid today, so. Oh, great. Well, if you're going to rep anyone, I mean. That looks like the print from her first entrance look. Yeah. On it the is. is it? Okay, very yeah. cool. I like that. Cool. Well, here we are. This is your new painting. I think I told you earlier that we've got your going. It's going to be the same design. And yeah, let's get going. It's nice to see you. Cool. Nice to see you too. Introduce yourself to the lovely people watching. Well, I'm Joseph uh, Shepard. I host a little show on uh, YouTube called Exposed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I interview prominent drag queens and LGBT um, artists, predominantly drag queens. I uh, get their full story, kind of like dive into their lives. Very Barbara Walters 2020 style. Uh, yeah, and I imagine most people have seen it because the view counts that you're getting are insane. And you've been making like, I don't know how many videos a week, but you've, you've been making so many recently. It's incredibly impressive and you must be exhausted. <laughs> I mean, Pride, Pride Month was very ambitious. And I think that I've put a lot on my plate, way too much on my plate. Um, but we're, we're, we're slowing back down, so it's nice. Great. Well, I definitely want to talk more about uh, all your videos and interviews and work in a minute. But firstly, I'm taking a note out of your book, and I want to ask, what was Joseph like as a child? <laughs> because if anyone hasn't seen, this is how he starts. Like, well, every interview I've seen recently, I don't know how long you've been doing this, but every interview, it starts that way. And I'm like, that's, that's great. I love that. So throwing it back at you. Yeah, I start, I start all my interviews that way. The, I think the very first three questions and the last three questions are always the same. And then recently somebody was like, commented, was like, can you please change your questions? And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm interested in knowing where people grew up. Um, I grew up in a little town in Tennessee, um, which is south uh, in the United States. And it was very conservative. Grew up in a Baptist church, um, but... Me as a child, I was the crazy flamboyant kid to some degree. I was obsessed with Disney's Aladdin, and I would put on a cape like Aladdin and jump off the fireplace and to a whole new world that my mom would like put on a record player. And I, uh, my, when my dad would go to work, my mom would, um, she had these two luggage uh, totes, and she would open them up, and it was all of her Barbies from when she was a child. And I would play with the Barbies and then we would have to like put them back in the suitcases before my dad got home. Um, and yeah, I did, I did theater and all that stuff throughout elementary, middle and high school. And yeah, 
I was, I was a very ambitious kid, but I didn't come out of the closet until I was, I think, 21 almost, yeah. Ah, okay. Do you, yeah. Think, do you think your mom knew? Did she tell you she did? Uh, it's, it's hard because, like, I think that some people did. Like, I think that, like, my, my dad probably did. My mom didn't want to accept it. My mom didn't talk to me for a while after that because um, it's wow. so different and, you know, the South and Tennessee and growing up religious and what you, you know, you believe. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many signs. I mean, mannerisms, voice, you know, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason I ask is because she was like helping you secretly play with Barbies, but then the denial is so strong that you don't make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my parents were the same. I, I played with Barbies. I had an Easy Bake Oven, like all of that shit. I, all, my, all my friends were girls when I was younger. So a lot of these, obviously, it's not a definite, but they're signs, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, my mom was super surprised too. And I'm just, I, when she was surprised, I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I remember you saying last time we spoke that I found really interesting is that I can't remember how we got onto it, but you basically said that you were like, you were a bit chubbier as a kid, you were like overweight and that kind of affected, that affected some, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about it, but I, I found that really interesting. So I wanted to kind of ask you about that again. Um, yeah, I, I was a little chunkster. Um, I was... <laughs> I am and always will be a picky eater. Like nobody can deny that for me. So I was, when I was in middle school, I was extremely picky and I wouldn't eat anything besides French fries, chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. And that's all I would eat. And then I eventually, of course, blew up and I gained a whole lot of weight and I was extremely chunky, but I went to um, a school from kindergarten to eighth grade that I knew all these kids that I was with for the whole time. And it was a private school and there's only 14 kids in my class. So I had, like grown up with these kids and they weren't the people to make fun of you. And then I went in high school and went to a public school with 900 kids in my class. So that was like a bit jarring. And then it was just being made fun of for being fat and, you know, so then it, I lost all the weight and shablam. But I think, that, I mean, and especially in gay culture, too, it's just a big thing, especially with body image. I think it's always something that's in your head. Like, you always have mm -hmm. that, and it will always stick around with you. Body dysmorphia is fun. I was going to ask, do you think, so did that experience, like, affect you quite deeply, do you think? It sounds oh, like yeah, it was a shorter yeah. period of time. It wasn't, like, your whole childhood, but, like, a short end. Uh, my chunky side was probably from the ages of 9 to 16. Yeah, but... Uh, but yeah, um, I think that that did shape me and it still shaped me to this day. Like I, you know, I'm always in my head, always trying to like not get back to that, that bad place. Yeah, of course. It's a, it, yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's so interesting because I think it really highlights how someone who's been through that experience or has that body type or whatever it is, like that's, that's not something that everyone can relate to. And I feel like a lot of the time people who are of a body type that is naturally thinner and they don't have to watch what they eat, they like have all these comments and it's kind of like, it's like, this isn't a place that you're able to talk about, you know, like it doesn't make sense. And I feel like it's the same with race. It's the same with like nationality or with, for me, sometimes with certain mental health things, it's like people often have a lot of opinions when they don't have any personal experience about it. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when you said it last time, 
and I want to like tread carefully with this because I know it's like a sensitive topic, but yeah. I, I, I think I told you at the time that when you said it, I was like kind of surprised, but not surprised because I'd actually already guessed that you might've been overweight when you were younger or something similar to that. And um, the reasoning for that is just because you're like really nice. <laughs> and especially being someone who like we've talked about it before you get hit on by the people you're interviewing a lot I think last time when we were having this conversation you were literally getting hit on in the comments whilst I was saying this <laughs> but meanwhile so obviously you're attractive conventionally attractive person but meanwhile you were you I was really struck by how friendly and engaging and nice and how much empathy you seem to have and I, I was curious and that was part of my like theory of how empathy is cultivated is it, it just made total sense to me that you would have had that experience because otherwise you'd probably be you could have could be an asshole maybe yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean looking looking back on it, I mean if anything comes with niceness I think it's also a thing that like what's ingrained in your head and how you're brought up as well. Because like at the end of the day too, it comes down to like, you've had multiple aspects of the spectrum. You know, you, you had, I had like being chunkier and then losing the weight. And then I had going through, you know, coming out and people not accepting. And I think that mm. through those moments, when you're not given the ability to fully be yourself, you appreciate things fully around you. You appreciate things a lot more. It's kind of like, if you were born pretty and from age one to the rest of your life, you're told that you're pretty, it probably just, you know, weighs off your shoulder and you may not be the nicest person, but that's an assumption. I don't know. But yeah, I think it definitely, so definitely, doesn't, definitely doesn't apply to everyone. And I, I think as you were saying with like queer people, more often, I think that plays into that because queer people were kind of treated, not often aren't treated as well. And that cultivates that that sense of like, of niceness or empathy. Sorry, I dropped my paintbrush. Um, <laughs> but I think that that like is it is that I think being attractive conventionally is a privilege, just like being heterosexual is a privilege or being white is a privilege. And yeah. I think often it's not because people are bad or anything. It's just a natural way of things that when you have privilege, it like often means you don't necessarily like know what it means to not have it. Yeah, exactly. True. That's my little theory. But you're right. Not all hot people are mean. And I'm sorry, hot people, if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> I think that segues quite nicely, actually, into a big thing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, well, obviously, the your interview series and in Exposed. Um, let, actually, let's, let's talk about that first. And then I want to segue into, I know you've been focusing a lot on, like, with the Vixen uh focusing on like the black lives matter movement at the moment and then also bringing that into all of the interviews so i kind of want to open that up to you to just talk about your series and your work and what you do for sure um so i have been uh ever since i guess 2011 2010 i started interviewing drag queens i had been doing artists and stuff when i was in college and i found that like you know this is kind of like a segue into what i want to do and I had never seen a drag show before in my life. I had never watched RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was going through and I was looking at people that were going to, I was in Atlanta at the time, and this was a place called Center Stage. And a lot of artists would come through there. And 
it said like battle of the seasons drag show and i was like oh what is this and i like looked into it and i was like oh it's rupaul's drag race i wonder what this is and me i was just sent a email and was like hey like can i interview somebody who's like coming through and i sent it to like uh this guy named len who repped a door at the time and he was like yeah sure like you can you know interview a door delano um and this literally was the next day so the night before i watched all of season six of rupaul's drag race i formulated questions i did all that and that was my first venture into the drag world and then from there i interviewed the queens on the red carpet and stuff and I had cast, I, I produce, as it's my main job, I produce uh, television shows and stuff, and I do social media right now. Um, but I was producing a show for Freeform, which is ABC Family, uh, and it was a show, it was a spinoff of The Bachelor. It was with these two twin girls, and they needed a landlord, and this is how real reality TV is. Uh, like, we want a landlord to live next to these girls, but we want her to be, like, crazy or mean. And then one of my bosses was like, we should get a drag queen. So I reached out to Willem. Willem comes into our office for his meeting in full drag on a hoverboard, like going through the office. And literally we booked her right after that. Um, That's probably like 2015. And then Willem and I have been close ever since. But on the sidelines of all of this, I would get to talking to Willem and he'd start telling me his stories about what was really going on behind the scenes of Drag Race and what happened during season four and like, you know, who's in this hot scolding water and this isn't true, this isn't fake and like all this stuff. And I was like, I feel like nobody knows your story. Like, I feel like people know you from behind the keyboard and people know you from like what you tweet or what you rant or from your beat down videos on YouTube. But I felt like that there was something more there. So I asked him if he would want to do a, Barbara Walters style interview and he said yeah sure like and so we did it and we went to his closet and we filmed it and it was an hour and I was like I'm gonna put this out I put it out didn't expect anything of it I thought it was gonna be a one and done and literally the name exposed came from the videographer Kane who shoots all the interviews that I do outside of my apartment and he was like I feel like people are gonna click on something if it were to say, Willem exposed, like, why is he exposed? People are going to click it. They want to know. And I was like, all right. So that's yeah, where that's the name came from. Thing. And then, uh, yeah, so that video didn't really take off the first week it was on. And I was like, well, fuck. And then I was in Vegas the following weekend. And I started getting all these notifications. And it literally, like, blew up overnight. And it went from, like, 5,000 views to like 70 and then 100 and then it like kept going and then Alaska hit me up and Alaska was interested and then the rest was history and I was like well you know I kind of just want to tell these girls stories in a way that's not uh, I'm not knocking on Hey Queen in any way um, I love Johnny and I love Hey Queen but Hey Queen interviews and the interviews that we have of drag artists right now are very entertainment based and they're very for sound bites or for press articles or headlines and they're very quick and I just kind of wanted something that was just very sit down and letting them speak and so sometimes people will comment on my videos and they'll be like you know why don't you interject more or why don't you talk about your experiences or things and that's not the point of the interview the point of the interview is for the artist to actually speak out and talk about their experiences that's how yeah it happens. I would say that and to me that's one of the biggest strengths of 
the style that you do it in is that you're you have those listening skills and that ability to step back and to to put have some input when you need to to move the conversation along to structure it but but they seem to really open up on your show in a way that I don't see in a lot of other interviews because there's there's a lot of them now like doing red carpets and all sorts of things there's like uh, I feel there's a whole mini industry of drag queen entertainment that's its own thing apart yeah. from the entertainment world it's funny for sure so are you so it's interesting that you kind of fell into drag culture would you say like uh how are you really into it as a fan now or is it kind of like you're into entertainment as a whole and drag is like another segment of entertainment um i lived in new york for I had like an internship in New York and I lived in New York for two or three years. And I remember I would go with my friend, Eric, and we'd go to industry and therapy and these two bars in New York, they're across the street from each other. And every Thursday night, I believe it was drag night. And mm. I remember Thursday nights would be like my night, like, you know, Oh, like Friday, don't really have to worry about work that much. And I want to go out and have a good time. We go out and, these drag queens would be on stage and I was so mad. I was like, I want to have a good time and I just want to listen to music and where <laughs> I want to go, like, why are they performing and screaming at me? Like, that's not what I want. I remember I hated it so much and I was like young. And that's young. the end of the interview. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and I my, my young 21 year old self was like, oh, like, you know, that's not what I wanted. But then <laughs> time, I really just fell into it. And I, I mean, entertainment has always been a thing, but I, once I started interviewing the Queens and seeing that these people have stories and they have a backbone and I became so into drag race, it became so into going down to Mickey's or like, you know, local bars and seeing the talent that we have in Los Angeles or New York or Atlanta. And it was like such an interesting drive um, to see these girls working, but then also like be like, you know, oh, I can relate to this person in some shape, form, aspect, or way, whether it be mm -hmm. where they came up or where they accepted or what they're going through. And a lot of times girls tell their story through their performances too, which is always intriguing and interesting. So uh, if I were to rank, I would say the drag and the LGBT aspect far outweighs the entertainment aspect. Yeah, that it's interesting because I, I definitely, what attracted me to drag was that I really wasn't into entertainment and like celebrity culture and any of that stuff I actually find and still to a certain extent really I'm not a fan of and drag is like this subversion of it it's this parody of it and that's what really attracted me to it initially as well as just like shiny fun <laughs> but um and it's interesting now that I feel it's becoming more a part because it's so big it is I'm not sure how much that parody aspect always still exists anymore. And, and that's kind of why I wanted to ask for you whether, like how the relation of entertainment and drag works for you, because I could almost see them being this whole entity now, like drag artists are just like any other celebrity as opposed to being this separate thing. Um, what do you think about that? Do you find like working, cause you obviously do other stuff than just drag. So do you feel like they're seen now as being like a core part of entertainment or is it still kind of separate? I think it is kind of, I think it is kind of becoming a, a core part of entertainment. Um, I'm dropping an interview with Cameron Michaels tomorrow and on that interview, he discussed, and I didn't think about it until he was discussing it. He was discussing how back before Drag Race and when he was doing drag, 
how the queens would always be so mean to people in the audience. Like it was like a joke and it was routine. Like a lot of people were like Bianca Del Rio's. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. remember that. Like, you know, that was like a time where people were, you know, you had more Lady Bunny-esque people and, you know, Sherry Vine, not Sherry Pie. But, um, and you had these queens that were, you know, they were making jokes and it was more about comedy and stuff. Um, but I do feel drag has become more mainstream and I think some people and some drag artists when they go to be on the show view it more from an entertainment perspective and you know celebrity status in the way of like you can't necessarily be mean to people or do your show that you used to do when you were at home you kind of become a persona then mm. yeah I remember I think it was Trixie but I'm sure a lot of them have said it how like responding to drag queens being kind of censored by the public in this way they're like Drag queens are not nice people. <laughs> like, we're not supposed to be nice. I think Willem says it a lot too. Like, we're there with like the hookers down the street and the drug dealers. Like, we're not supposed to be nice. But I don't think that's the vibe anymore. I think the vibe is that they are held to the same standards as like, you know, a Disney pop star. Yeah. Must be strange. <laughs> I guess, I guess a lot of them want it. That's why they go into it. But I find that transition of going from being like being able to get away with anything to now being a kind of have, having to be a role model must be very unusual, especially for like the older queens like Lady Bunny or someone. Yeah. And I also think it gets to a point, too, of like the show does so well in promoting these girls. But then how is it affecting your local artists, too? You know, like you have people that come through, you know, Los Angeles or any other city that you're in and they'll come on a Friday night or Saturday night and there'll be an artist from RuPaul's Drag Race and you know that they're paying them thousands of dollars but at the end of the day, it's like, what about the local artists who work every, you know, Thursday night and that are kicking their ass? Like, how much are they getting paid? I always wonder about that stuff too because that always interests me. It's like, is it, I think it's helping a lot of queens in different ways but I also think that it does have the potential to, you know, hurt the people don't don't necessarily want to be on television yeah i think those are the ones that probably fall through the cracks because i think it's lifted the industry as a whole because that wouldn't have you like you said it they have one drag night at industry when you used to go no way is there any one night drag now they must be at least at least three or something like drag is just everywhere so i don't know that would be an interesting one if you get, if you, have you ever had any more like local, have you done local queen interviews or is it more been the higher? It's normally been the higher just um, for the fact that like, I know those people's stories a little bit more. Um, yeah. But I did interview Raya Latre, who's like a big uh, queen on the LA scene. Um, and then also when I got talking to Lady Bunny too, I like asked her about, you know, Coco Brew and Jackie Beat and these girls that are, legendary in their own rights um but they're not on the television and i was like asking like does that hurt you guys you know the ones that are more known and she was like yeah she was like you know i've had the privilege of having rupaul you know in my pocket we've been best friends for years but for the other seasoned queens who've been around for years and be the only ones touring it's it's hurt them mm. yeah i can imagine that it's definitely, I know that I've come across it a little bit with um, when I choose who I'm going to paint a mural of or something. And there has been times when I've wanted to do someone from Drag Race because like you said, those are the people that I know, especially if I'm in a city that I haven't been to before. 
Um, and then a lot of the time that does act for local queens because it feels it's that kind of like more national to local idea. Like I always try and choose someone who has a local connection because otherwise you're just painting a random person there. But um, there's definitely, there definitely seems to be tension and I can see why. I mean, you like, like you said, you feel like you're working so hard and you're not being, you're not able to get the opportunity that's going to catapult you up. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Is there, I guess there's equivalents in like singing and stuff. would be like going on American Idol. Do you feel like with what you do, there's that same like delineation between like entry level and then being a star? Like, how would you describe what you do? I know you're an interviewer and you're a host. So how, how would you describe it? Like, what, what would you say is your kind of like biggest goal? Like, do you want to have your own show? Like, you have your own show already, obviously, but I mean, yeah. like on TV or something. Um, I, I'm a very, very, very creative mind. I, you know, I, I think at 900 times an hour. So I would love to do something. I would love to host my own show. I'd love to have that ability. Um, would I want it to be my exposed series on television or on a streaming service? No. Um, mm -hmm. because of the fact that I've worked in television behind the scenes for almost 10 years and I know that a lot of times people put their babies out on the line and their baby doesn't turn out to be what, what they want once you get too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is a big thing. Like if it was something else that I could collaborate and work on, yes, for sure. That's an all time goal. Um, I'm also pitching other show ideas that have nothing to do with drag um, and that are going into pitch form and all that stuff. So my creative works in a lot of ways, but if I were to describe where I'd want to go, I think I'd want to be like, um, kind of like how Ryan Seacrest had a trajectory of hosting, but he is a producer now and produces a lot of different television shows. I think that that's kind of like a trajectory that I would appreciate and like. Mm. Yeah, because you've said, uh, I kind of jumped over this part because you've said it to me before, but I know that what motivates, you said what inspires and motivates you is like people's stories. Yeah. Right. So I guess that can take so many different forms. And like right now it's like an interview format, but like, would you ever, would you ever write, do you write anything fiction? Um, <laughs> fiction in the way of, I write children's books that have, will maybe get published one day when I figure out how this whole process works. But um, I started a, one day I was really mad and I started a child's book and it was called Bubsy the Bossy Bunny. So it was three Bs. And so <laughs> I wanted to expand it to be every letter of the alphabet, but teaching children different emotions. So that's the creative aspect in fiction would be um, a children's book. That's, that's as good as I go. I love that. That's so fun. And that and it's so important because you don't get taught about emotional intelligence in school, at least not in England when I was at school. Maybe they do now. I don't think they do. And it's so important, you know? Like I feel like that stuff, like being able to post like can you give me a little taste of it? Like what's the ABC? Oh, so what it would have been like Alfie the Angry Alligator and then like Bubsy the Bossy Bunny. So you have anger and then you have bossiness and then like curiosity and like just all the different types of emotions because also it's very interesting once disney released that inside out movie and i yeah. like watched that you know in my early 20s and i remember thinking like i really wish that i would have seen this when i was younger because like i'm thinking so much more about emotions right now than i ever have in my life 
Yeah, that I think that film is I love Pixar and I think that film, like the message of it and the way that it was done, it's just like, yeah, it's so important. And that's like actually the like overall message of like finding a way to integrate sadness in a healthy way. That's like literally what a lot of my paintings are about. Yeah. And and they managed to communicate it much better and more entertaining <laughs> through <laughs> what if, what kind of things have you been thinking about? What's your what's on your current emotional plate? Oh my current emotional plate? And what yeah. in what regards do we mean by that? I don't know. You said that you've been thinking a lot about emotions and you watched that film and it like kind of resonated something within you. Just wondered if you wanted to expand on that. I think this time right now is extremely hard for everybody. I mean, I think it's difficult for a lot of people, um, especially when you're not able to see your friends or your family and all this stuff. And I, um, I'm lucky that I have a therapist to talk to about it. But then I started thinking the other day and I was like, can you imagine being a therapist right now? And everybody's coming to you with the exact same problem. <laughs> normally, if you're a therapist, you'll have like multiple like you know different scenarios and you'll have oh like you know this person's like cheating on this person or this person's having relationship problems or like this person's having you know dating problems and like you have so many problems but then now it's all I can't imagine like if I was a therapist right now I probably would be like no more patients we can't do this like um just bored out of your mind like come yeah. on with the variety it's like watching the same tv show over and over again like come on <laughs> yeah like the same episode too <laughs> i think that now especially more like what's basically been on my mind is just like oh it's a bad thing to say but like how fucked up the world is in a lot of degrees you know like i yeah. i think that it's just a big thing like you know it's a learning experience i think it's so interesting to now that we have twitter and now that we have you know, social media, and it's just easily at our fingerprints. I think our generation is learning a lot more of what's behind the red curtain, you know, like what's behind Wizard of Oz, like, you know, we're learning a lot more and realizing things a lot more. And I think it's very beneficial and helpful. And I just hope that, you know, us as a society and our millennials and Gen Z and is it Gen X or Gen Z? I think Gen Z is the one after millennial. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's a big thing. I think that hopefully, you know, we're seeing that we need to vote. We need to speak up. We need to do X, Y, and Z, you know, no matter what. And, yeah. Um, but I think that that's been a big thing on my mind. I think it's a big thing on a lot of people's mind, just, you know, seeing. And I think that it's a weird thing to say, but I think Corona has also, like, um, opened our eyes more because we no longer are a lot of us are no longer in a job to where we're working you know our nine to five or working your you know your hours that you normally would and you're not as distracted so now you can think about all these things yeah yeah definitely i remember seeing a, a meme tweet that was like because everyone's always saying oh 2020 is so horrible cancel 2020 and this tweet was like don't cancel the year that woke you up like yeah. these things, like they suck and they're hard, but it's really important. Like the amount of introspection that's going on, like within ourselves and within like the systems and society. It's like, this is way more important than a year where like, like what the fuck happened in 2019? I don't even remember. Nothing yeah. happened. <laughs> but, it, but it's also interesting. Like when you think about it even further, it's like, okay, so like the Black Lives Matter movement happened and is happening. And it's like, 
it's become such a big thing and people have been protesting. But if everybody was in their regular jobs, the protest numbers would have been like, and yeah. it wouldn't have gone on that long. And like, that's the, the unfortunate benefit to it. I mean, benefit that is unfortunate and that we have COVID, but it's been a great benefit for the cause. Yeah, and I definitely think that there's been lots of people talking about how they're related, right? Because it's like you have, because everything's kind of connected together. And because um, people have been saying all this stuff about Black Lives Matter has been happening for so long and protests have been happening. And that I think Corona was a big part in why it like became as big this time around as it, as it is, because you're like adding into all of these, like, like you said, people are at home and they're seeing it. Plus, we're all like really aware of our own emotions we're all fucking frustrated <laughs> and you yeah. can like you can, like channel that into being like well what should i actually be frustrated about what's actually important um i wanted to talk to you about that yeah i said earlier because i've noticed in the exposed series you had referenced you the personal work that you're doing and also like making sure that that's become a part talking about black lives matter in each of the videos so i wanted to like ask just ask you about that and like share your experience with that I think when you have any platform uh, as socially and if you have an audience, I think that you do need to bring awareness to certain things. And I grew up in the South where racism was a big thing. I grew up with family members who were inherently racist. I dealt with, you know, all of that and I've seen it firsthand. So I'm not blind to seeing what the capacity of what people can do. And I, I think that, you know, it was just time to pivot. I think it was time to just take a moment and give these people the opportunity to speak their voice and ask them questions that I want to know the answer to, that viewers might want to know the answer to, that aren't the typical questions. And to really just ask, like, what can we do in these moments to help and to help push? Because I think that one thing at the end of the day is that, like, we're all human and we all want the best for each other. And it's like, how can we help that? And like, if I'm white, which I am, <laughs> if I'm white and then, you know, it's like, <laughs> you are. I'm, inter I'm interviewing somebody who's had a lot of struggles and, you know, they identify like with their identity and who they are. And like, if they're growing up and everybody around them is racist and stuff, like, I don't know those things. So hearing those firsthand stories, I think open up the spectrum even more because you can have somebody who says, you know, my life matters and black lives matter. But in, for some people in the United States, it is a lot harder for them to accept those things until they experience the story firsthand, if that makes any sense. So I thought, no, you know, in my series, having the Vixen talk about how when she was younger and what she went through, it opened my eye to different things I didn't think about. Like, you know, we, we discussed she always, she discussed like she can't wear a white t-shirt in public or a white tank top because in her mind and what from her mom told her, every um, black person that is arrested that's on the news who is in the mug shots always has on a white shirt or a white yeah. tank top. So it's like, are you going to be, you know, profiled because you're wearing that? And I was like, wow, like I never, I was never taught to be afraid of the police. And yeah. I think that that is just such a big thing. And so I just wanted to just, get people's stories and like at the end of the day like everybody's story is different um but i think that sometimes you just have to segue into things that are a little bit more important and you can still i can still do my series and i can still 
do the full interviews, but throwing in questions that can help people understand a movement or help people understand you as a person a little bit better, I think was needed. Yeah, definitely. And I like how it makes it a part of like, it's, it's a part of the everyday conversation. Like you're having this interview, you're talking with someone um, who could be of whatever ethnicity, nationality, whatever, but it's like the topics that you hit, you're going to talk about them and their life, but whether they're black or not, it's like something that becomes a part of our conversation. Like, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it too, is that, you know, like um, we can share our experiences of like how we are trying to be better allies or what challenges we found. And I think just making that a part of this conversation, whereas before I don't think I would have thought to ask you about it. Yeah. Like maybe I would, if I was interviewing someone who was black, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't immediately come to mind to me to be like, Oh, I'm going to talk to Joseph about race relations. So like, so I think that's been like a huge positive, just making it a part of like the conversation, no matter where that conversation is. Yeah. What do you think has been, um, what's been like most beneficial for you when it comes to doing that kind of like anti-racism work or like integrating it into your, into your work and like changing up what you're doing? I think it's been, honestly, I think it's just been allowing people to understand people better. I think if that's the benefit that I've had of it, like when the Vixens episode came out, I was more so excited for her when she was expressing to me that people were now understanding her a little bit more and people were coming yeah. out like, oh, like you had a point. Yeah, you may have been edited a little bit more strongly. You may have voiced your opinion, but these are why you have these opinions. And I just to see a lot of times the thrill and the enjoyment and the happiness that I got is reading the comments and seeing that people now understand the artist more or yeah. understand where this person was coming from. And I think with the Vixen, it really led me to a little bit of like happiness and seeing that people didn't understand this. And now people may understand this Black Lives Matter movement a little bit more. People may understand her a little bit more. And just seeing that feedback, I think was, is always the most beneficial thing. Like yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, I, Yes, of course, we all want to always want to be successful and I want to be successful and, you know, do well. But I think at the end of the day, just seeing people's minds change about certain people has been the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I might have phrased that a little bit funny. That was a really interesting point to go down, but I meant more, oh, yeah, um, I meant more like what's helped you do this kind of work? You know, to, to be able to put yourself in a place where you can really listen and to do what you need to do in order to be a better ally. Like, like, um, cause I think a lot of people, like you said, what they want to know and the questions you've been asking is like, what can I do? Yeah. Um, so that was, I think I phrased it in a weird way, but that was kind of the line I was going down. <laughs> so rephrase it one more time. Just like what's been the most helpful, like action or thought or process for you to integrate these kind of conversations into your work and to also or any kind of like so I can say for me like I what I've been doing is like being way more intentional about like how many people of various different like demographics I'm representing in my work who I'm approaching and like I'm doing this series right now and it's really easy for me to like fall into them being mostly Latino and white people because that happens, because it just happens to be that way. Either that's like friends that I happen to have or whatever. 
So I have to be a lot more intentional to like move past it being like, okay, well, these people said no, these people, I can't get a hold of them, but I'm going to keep trying and keep trying instead of just going with what's easy. Or I think you kind of hinted at it with the idea of success. Like a lot of us are drawn towards people who are more successful. But then if the people who are more successful are going to more likely be of a certain demographic, then you're also then again playing into part of the problem and being part of the problem. Um, so I think like for me, what's been really helpful is to like really step back and look at myself and be like, when am I subconsciously falling into these things? Yeah. And where do I, because I didn't think that I was doing it, but it took that like extra awareness to be like, you really have to put in extra effort to make sure that you're not falling into the same trap that everyone is. Um, so that's gone down like a real, that's a lot to process, but that was kind of, I was wondering for you if you've encountered anything like that or if there were any challenges towards adjusting your work or towards having these conversations and how you're able to move through that. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, during the time frame and putting out the content, I think that I wanted to mix things up and I wanted to be able to give people what they wanted to be able to get these stories across. But at the same time, I didn't want to inundate people's um, timelines and stuff and for it to come off inauthentic. Yeah. And that's the big thing for me. Like I, there's some people and I can love them to death, but you can tell when something's not authentic and you can tell when somebody's coming at something, whether it's a social media standpoint or whatever, and it's just to get the likes or just to get this and that. And you want to follow a movement to follow a movement. Yeah. I think my thing is, is that, you know, I want people to know these things and I want people to understand these things, but I want to do it in a way that comes off authentic. So with the Vixen, that was the way. With Tatiana, it was the way. But like, I'm not going to, because Silky said it in something. She was like, you know, I've been getting so many interview requests. And yeah. she was like, so many people have now been showing up and wanting to interview me. And I, she's like, I know that it's because I'm black. I know it's because of Black Lives Matter. And she's like, is it okay for me to say no? Like at the end of the day, like I want to be helpful for the cause, but you weren't supporting me at my low. So why do you want to like get the clicks off me now? Yeah. So I, just, I just try to make sure with all of these that everything's respectful, everything's done in the way that it should be done and that these girls never feel that they're being used. Yeah. Because that, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to get people to understand your viewpoint, but do it in an authentic way. And then also I, I try to do it to where like, I'm not pulling clips from my interviews and being like the Vixen talks about black lives matter or like this and that, because at the end of the day, that to me comes off, like I'm just trying to get the clips and the hits and it, it's using the person. And I don't like that. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I can feel that. I can understand that. And like, cause I would imagine also like, and this sounds similar to what Silky was saying is that like, just because you're black or of whatever demographic, like you don't necessarily want all of your interview to be about specifically that thing, or you don't want to be called on. It's like this whole thing, like where being demanding emotional labor and demanding educational labor. And I feel like that could feed into interviews as well. So it's like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. So and you can, the, the thing about the Vixen too, was that, um, 
when I interviewed her, I interviewed her the day after the George Floyd event happened. And the thing was, is that the question that I originally asked her had nothing to do with the protests or anything because those hadn't happened yet. Esther was basically about the racial divide in drag race and queens who, um, why are the racism problem in drag race and why do people support the white queens more than they do the black queens or those that are of color? Um, and I think that the thing that was the big part of that is like, I can't put out this interview in a week or two when there's a much bigger issue at hand. And we yeah. can expand on this question and she can talk more about that. And that's kind of what we did. Yeah, I thought it was really good that you went back with that Vixen interview to add that little bit in. Because I know sometimes people don't want to do that kind of thing because it messes with continuity or it seems a bit clunky. But I think it was really great that you did. Um, it like made it make sense uh, in the context. I had something like completely different, but... I had people annoyed that I did a painting of Gia recently because she said that Corona was a hoax. And I was like, I did paint it two months ago and it was like a commission, but it's like, nah, you released it after she said the thing. So then you become kind of, culp you become culpable even when I feel like, kind of like you as an interviewer with me as a painter, I feel like I'm not that person. I'm kind of an observer who's like recording in a sense. But I think you still, you do have a power in that you're in some ways choosing who you interview. You're like, you're putting them on the platform that you do have. So you're not completely detached from who they are in the context. Like you're, you're right there in the seat with them. I want to talk more about like for you, what interviewing means to you in general. And like, like one of the things I'm really interested in that we talked about before was like the interpersonal skills that like come from being a good interviewer. And because uh, to me, it seems like like listening and empathy and thinking about someone else, putting yourself in their shoes, like all of these things would really contribute to just being like generally a pro-social person. Um, so as well, for, so for you, like what what do you think the like most important elements as an interviewer are to, to, to get a good interview in? I think research is the humongous thing that I always do. I mean, I research out the frame um, I used to, <laughs> I used to go on the, the RuPaul's Drag Race Reddit thread and I would oh and ask people to send me questions because a lot of the Reddit people are like sleuths and they like find all this stuff. But then apparently I was promoting myself, which I think I was. It's, it's a lot of research. Research is the big thing. I think also when I was doing red carpets, you wanted those hard punching questions that were really fast and really easy and that a queen would answer and you can get the clicks and you can get the feedback. I think taking a step back from that, I had to learn that what's on the note cards doesn't have to be the topic of conversation. What's on the note cards and what you have and what you've researched can be great segues. You can start, like I always start my interviews the same and end them the same. Those are like, that's my framework. Everything that's in the middle is just whatever happens. A lot of it's bullet mm -hmm. points that I try to make sure that I cover. Um, but I really think that researching, listening, listening is a humongous thing. I mean, at the end of the day, if I watch old interviews back of like when I first started, it's like you can see it in my eyes. I'm just waiting for them to finish to ask the next question. Like, <laughs> like oh, my God, like, why are you doing that, Joseph? Um, 
I also think that reading comments, even though it can be hurtful sometimes and it can be great at other times, I think reading comments and noticing mannerisms and things you do is a big thing. Anytime I have a mannerism, people comment and like lay it out like, drink every time Joseph does X, Y, and Z. And then I'll throw it away and I won't use it. And then the next video, I apparently will use something else. So apparently now I'm using wow a lot. Yeah, it will never, yeah, it will never be ending. But I think that, yeah, listening is a big deal. And then also just like relating. If somebody's like telling you a personal story that they're opening up to you about and you can tell they're not comfortable, relating in some way to that story, whether it be, oh, like I experienced that before or, oh, I can see how that is for you. And like, I noticed that on Twitter, X, Y, and Z happened. But like, it's just very like relating. And I think also mm -hmm. a big part of it is a lot of times in show business, um, yeah, I do use wow a lot. Thank you for this new confidence. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I think that uh, a big thing in show business is that they do pre-interviews. So like before you get a guest on uh, Jimmy Kimmel or James Corden or uh, Jimmy Fallon, like you, the producers pre-interview these people. They ask them about like what's coming up. They get a few senses of their stories. That's why a lot of times if you like are watching a late night show and the host is like, oh, well, I heard that you had a problem with your car yesterday. It's because these people like pre-interviewed them. So yeah, one thing that I always try to do is I don't pre-interview, but I try to establish some type of friendship or some type of um, relationship with the girls before um, I actually interview them and before I can like set down a date. Like, and I think that that's why sometimes people will be like, oh, they seem like friends or they seem like there's a friend vibe. It's kind of because like, I want to make them feel comfortable. They're about to open up mm -hmm. their life. They're about to say something they may not want to say. And, you know, I mean, I was trying to woo Tatiana over for a year. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that took a year. Where you like send her flowers and stuff. Yeah, little flowers, little car. You Flower know. emoji. <laughs> <laughs> So has, has it been more difficult interviewing queens online? Um, I will say this. I love my setups when I can go out in person uh, and interview them. Uh, In-person vibe is always more authentic to me and it feels I can read and I can sense people. Um, doing them at home has been great cost-wise because um, I don't have to pay for a videographer and I don't have to pay for potentially a location or pay for equipment or whatever I need. Um, being able to be accessible to Queens has been great. Um, you know, anybody, anywhere I can easily do if they agree. The downside is quality, which I hate. Mm. And the downsides is um, quality is a big thing. And I think that that's a humongous thing. A lot of times Queens will use like their phone or they'll use their computer internet connection and then the connection can be bad and then you get a crap video or what i've been encountering a lot is if queens film on their phones for some reason in our phones it only shoots four by three as opposed to choosing a 16 by nine so my video will be like a great widescreen video and theirs looks like it was shot in 1999 so that's been a big issue <laughs> 
You know, it's, it's funny that it's been a negative for you because you already had a really good tech setup. But for me, it was one of the biggest blessings to have everyone else's tech go because it like <laughs> literally gave me the confidence to do this because I was like, I don't need a fancy tech setup because even like BBC News is using like... Yeah. <laughs> so your, your disadvantage is my advantage. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> But it's also interesting, too, because the, the queens, a lot of times, they'll have their whole lighting set up on, and they're used to, you know, taking their picture on the phone or whatever, and they're used to their whole lighting set up. But once they go to shoot these interviews, for some reason, with Zoom and stuff and with Skype, the lighting changes completely. So they'll be all ready to go. And then literally, once we turn on the camera, they're like, oh, crap, like, I have to redo this all over again. Ah, uh, such a nightmare. I think, uh, so I didn't quite noticed when we started but i think we're gonna come to the cutoff soon okay. um so but there was one more i mean i think there are a lot more questions and i just haven't been reading them but there, i did see one that said what's your dream interview oh um dream interview i mean do, is it the drag queen or is it anybody i think it's your dream so sky's the limit Dream interview would be to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation after spending a full day with this person so they can know that they're okay to open up with me. But I want the first interview with Britney Spears. Um, yeah. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot. And I, I feel like she's not, she hasn't been herself in years. And I really want, um, I want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. I think everyone does. I know there's that whole free Britney movement of like, I mean, a lot of people have theories about what's happening. And yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, but I think if we go drag queen, I would love to interview RuPaul in drag, not out of drag. <laughs> well, you'd have to pay her then. <laughs> that's great. Is there anything else you wanted to, before we get cut off? rudely by instagram um anything else you would like to add in what's going on with you um i tomorrow i'm putting out an interview with cameron michaels that'll be at 10 a.m uh pacific standard time uh really excited about that one he totally turns off the introvert card which was great and i think it was the most conversation i've ever seen him have and he had a great time and then next uh in two weeks, I will be dropping Tammy Brown. So if you have any Tammy Hi. Brown questions, go over to my YouTube because we're going to get into it. I know Tammy. <laughs> I, we were like video messaging for a little bit. I love really? Tammy. Yeah, because I painted her in um, Melrose. So then she was messaging me after that. She's great. We were going to do an art show together. This is the interview I'm probably the most nervous about because Tammy Brown is just so off the wall that I'm like, is it going to be hard to like ring her in when I need like an honest answer to a question? Oh my God. I think, I think you just have to roll with it. Like maybe take some LSD before the interview and just like <laughs> go off on that journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this again. It's always so nice to talk with you and the pain. I think I got further along this time than I did last yeah. time. So, you know, it helps the practice. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but I'll be uploading this and sending it to you once it's all done. And um, yeah, thank you. And everyone, did you say, well, you're on YouTube is exposed. Do you want to do all the tags and Instagram? Oh, yeah. You can follow me, Joseph A. Shepard. YouTube, you can just type in Joseph A. Shepard. Or if you spell my last name wrong, just type in exposed Katya and you'll find me. Yeah. Is that the biggest one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool yeah i mean i went looking for catches nudes and it kept sending me to your your <laughs> videos i was very annoyed anyway let me just speak to you